Welcome to the Woman's Own Book Club Guest Author of the Month. When Dr. Beryl Botman's husband, Professor Russell Botman, died very suddenly back in 2014, she was struck by denial, anger, and all the things that go with grief. Soon after, she wrote a book, a very personal book, called Without You. Well, at the launch of that one in 2022, she declared that there would be a second, and sure enough, there was, there is. It's called Still Love Remains. And at the launch of this one, Beryl Eichenberger of Woman's Zone spoke to her to ask her to recap on the first book and on her writing journey. Initially, my writing project started as one project. I, I set out to write one book about the five-year journey that I was on after um, Russell passed. The writer's course that I attended recommended um, the length for a good book for people to pick off the shelf and buy it and read it is about eighty to 90,000 words. And at that, at that stage, I thought, yes, five years. And that was also a time that I took an, the, the end of one chapter. I felt it felt like the end of one chapter mm-hmm. and the beginning of the next. So it, I thought five years would be great, and five years would be enough. I would have enough to say for those 80,000 words because it's a lot of words. <laughs> so, and it proved me to be that it isn't as much words as I thought it would be. Um, after planning the, for the five years, um, each chapter, all the chapters were organized in four sections. The first section uh, is daily sections, day by day, day by day reflections for the first 14 days, which were very, very, very intense, each one of them. And then the second section was days turned to weeks, and then each chapter was a weekly reflection. And uh, the third part was um, weeks turned to months, and then part four was months turned to years. So I thought for four years I would just write one chapter for, for each year. And then I started writing, and I had my sources, I had my phone, my calendar, my diary, I had a box full of cards and newspaper clippings, articles, and all those kinds of things. They informed, and they helped me remember. But what happened was, I didn't think that I would remember as much as I did. Because with each, for example, with each message, I could, um, for example, remember the person. I might even remember what that person was wearing. I remember the day as, as if the memories were shaken loose from within me didn't have it in my head. I didn't think that I remembered that, but I did. And so I decided to write it all, tell it all. As it comes, I will write it, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it makes my reader uncomfortable. 
this is what I think I experienced, this is what I remember, um, somebody told me, and by the way, people, my, my cousins was very, very anxious, <laughs> because they said, people are going to sue you. The things you say, I said, yes, they can sue me, but I have sources, and I can prove this is what happened for this thing and the next, anyway. And by the way, I do have insurance. So, <laughs> good idea. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so the, when I reached 83,000 words, I was done with year one. And I decided to end that writing project right there and leave the, the other four years for later because I wouldn't do the justice to those four years because those four years were also not easy years. They were also intense, not as intense as the first year. They're in a, but, it's in yeah. a different way, very but, much. Yes. So, you're so they, that's why there's two books. Yes. Yeah. And Still Love Remains, which is very evident, and I mean we're talking now 2014 and we're nine years on nearly 10. And I think just by reading the book, one can feel that love coming through. But there was also, there's a lot of anger there as well. You know, so when, when I look at the processes of grief, you were angry, but you've addressed each of the entries as a letter. So he was still your constant companion. Why letters? Um, the first book I, I presented as a one-way conversation, which was a wonderful thing because he couldn't answer, and it was the first time that it ever happened. Uh, Did um, he answer here? I think remains. So, I, because I decided to make it to two different um, writing projects, and the second book has to stand, has to be a standalone. I had to find a different vehicle to the first one. And so I decided it has, because it is still a personal conversation and, and another way of communicating uh, besides having a conversation is letter writing. And so that is what I, I decided to do, um, which is also very, very personal. Of course, he also couldn't write back. <laughs> but I, sense in, I, I sensed as I was reading it, that he was there with you and that he was answering you. Sometimes you were answering in perhaps his voice because you knew what he would say. But with all the resources and everything that you have, he remained, he remains, because I think we have to put that in the presence, very, very much alive to you. And you, you speak to him not only in the book, but you regularly visit his grave. And, and I know that there are a lot of people who, when they've lost a loved one, will go to the grave and they will talk to their beloved. How cathartic was that? How does that make you feel? Actually, for me, the grave is not a place where I talk to Russell. Where I talk to him is where I'm comfortable, where I'm at mm -hmm. home. And especially when I'm in bed. That is when I... Oh, wait, too much information. 
<laughs> but I get it. No, 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 carry on. <laughs> so, for me, the grave is important because it is a monument which says to me, and I think which says to the world, this person was important, this person lived, and this person needs to be remembered, and this is a sign. Mm -hmm. And so I regard it as my responsibility to visit it regularly and see that everything's fine. I do a quick conversation of the long and real <laughs> conversations uh, when I'm with myself mm -hmm. and in my comfort zone. So I have to ask you, because you always talk about anthuriums, mm -hmm. and you talk you have anthuriums on your book covers. We have anthuriums here. You take bouquets which have anthuriums. What is the significance? I mean, there are beautiful, beautiful plants. Now, those who know me know I know nothing about plants. I only know like roses and those kinds of general, which everybody knows, um, of flowers and plants and trees and so on. So it was a something that happened um, that made me learn the word or the name Anthurium. Mm -hmm. Um, in the first book, it was just a couple of months after Russell passed away, I, I uh, relate that uh, story. It was a Sunday afternoon, an acquaintance, not even a friend, asked without a home that afternoon, she would like to come and see me. And I said, yes, I'll, I'm at home. And she came, she brought her husband with He's also an, an acquaintance, and she stood at the door with two plants. Um, you know those things I sell at Woolies, those two anthurium plants, mm -hmm. um, red, both of them, they were the same. And I said, oh, beautiful. And they came in, and she, she said, she introduced these, these plants with these bright, deep red flowers, by saying, I'm going, she's going to share something with me that might make me uncomfortable. She doesn't know what I believe. She doesn't know how I would accept it, but she has something that she wants to share with me. I said, okay, she can try me. I think I'm open enough. If I do feel uncomfortable, I will tell her. And then she told me that Russell has, she has the gift of people who pass on, people on the other side, will come to, through her dreams to um, deliver messages for, for a particular person, and then she relates the message. And that is what happened to her. She, she related two dreams, and she said, never before has any one person come into two different dreams. But the dream about the anthuriums, he said to her, take these flowers to Beryl. And she said, um, she asked him, uh, why two? He said, Beryl will know. Why these ones? Beryl will know. Now he had a very high opinion of me. He thinks <laughs> I'm very clever, so I will know. Now I don't know even the name of the... Of the 
And I'm thinking the last sample. And why do you sing because you know they will die? <laughs> anyway, I accept I accepted them and it was it was a totally strange experience. I've never heard of anything like this before. And um, to make a long story short, I knew I had to go and speak to somebody who I think knows more about it. And I went to speak to Omiyapura, who was Russell's mentor, not mine. I don't hardly knew Omiyapura, but he confirmed to me. Um, he, he didn't answer me when I said, what does it mean, Omiyapura? I don't know about these things. And he says, he asked me, what do you think it means? And I said, when I look at the plants and I see that it's good, now I'm a language teacher, so I know how to see symbolism and interpret things. So green is life and red is love and passion and the flowers look like hearts and all of that. He says, so I think, and I also wants to just reassure me that he loves me. And Omiyab said yes. And Omiyab took it a step further. He said, I think Russell wants to assure you that the bond between the two of you will never be broken. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens, however your life continues, that bond will never be broken. And that reassured me and that made make me feel more comfortable with feeling Russell's presence in my life, feeling a sudden, sudden burst of heat yeah, on my shoulder, on my arm, or walking on a spot through the house where there's no sun or so and it feels warm, seeing light streaks where there's no reflection, having a bathroom filled with steam where there's no taps open, I've been away for the whole weekend, those kind of things made me feel more comfortable after, uh, after that and I knew that I must, my, I must look at the world with new eyes, must open my eyes and I must make meaning of what I see. That's a very beautiful story and, and dare I ask about the anthuriums that she gave you? They are still alive. <laughs> and they have They're never stopped blooming in all of these nine years. They are a very precious They're not looking too good now. <laughs> but they won't die. I'm going to get them to look better soon. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that story. I just also want to mm. add... We I learned or the name was the, the, the night I took the tag of the plant and I went to my bed where I do most of my reflection mm -hmm. and my thinking and I read the instructions how am I not going to take care of these plants um, and that's where I learned the name Anthuriums. Beautiful. I also have three anthuriums in my house, and they come beautifully all the time. And they don't need a lot of work, but they are very rewarding plants. Which sort of brings me to, I found, reading through the book, that there were certain themes that were emerging that actually got you from page one 
to page 271 and got you into that fifth year and seeing things slightly differently because at the beginning you say in this state of lifelessness my eyes were fixed because life looks and feels rather dull I want to ask you first of all if that feels whether you feel that way but also you speak about it felt like wading through a river by the end of the book I didn't feel that I, I felt a much there was much more lightness yeah I think I described my my journey through mm -hmm. the river I think at the end of Still Love Remains I was out of the river but I was still on soft ground mm -hmm. I think now I can hear the river way back. I know the river is there. Sometimes I get close to the river, mm -hmm. other times I'm way far away. But uh, I, am, I haven't been in the river for a very long time. Which is yeah. the best news. Which is the best news for anybody who has lost a loved one. So let's speak to these themes because they seem to have made you get up in the morning given you purpose when you might just have wanted to hide under the duvet, which there was quite a lot of that, but you were tenacious. You gave yourself purpose. And what I identified was, first of all, the spiritual. I mean, Russell was a theologian. You yourself are very involved in the church. But things actually changed in terms of where you had been with your church and where at the end of the book you ended up although you're very involved but you changed churches yeah the last few years of Russell's life we didn't really attend church very regularly in fact we went very seldom um, we haven't found um, ourselves comfortable with what we had been, what, have, what we have been experiencing up to there and to our expectations. So we had lots of, we, we will always say um, we are lucky we have our own personal pastor in our house. So we had those kinds of situations. We would have Good Friday, Holy Communion in our garden under the tree. We didn't have bread. We'd have muffins, or so we had those. That is where we were, and so when Russell died, that is where I was. And I couldn't connect with the church, but I could connect with my spiritual life, and I could connect with my Creator. And I think it was two or so years. I started feeling um, that I needed to connect again with community of believers. And at that time, um, Roxanne and I were living together, Roxanne and my daughter. I started, uh, I spoke to a friend of mine, Charlene, and I said to her, this is the kind of faith community that I'm seeking. I don't want to go to those kinds. I, this is where I think I want to belong. And then she said, come and visit my uh, community, and that was Rondebosch United. 
church in in Russia, of course. So, no, it's not of course, because many of our churches have names where they are not because of group areas. So scrap the of course. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so I visited for three years, and I wanted to be sure that that is what I wanted to do. But what um, was important to me is my spirituality. Mm-hmm. Can I connect my intellect and my spirituality and my and and my experience of life, uh, my expectations, my relationships with other people. Can I bring it to this space and learn how to deal with it and learn how to deal with uh, other people? And that is where I found it. And there we have Judy and Julian. They also from. Randebosch United Church, and those are the people that uh, I connected to. So I could, could give expression to what I needed and also what I think people needed from me, what I could offer. And so, yes, and there I'm on the church council, and I lead a, a facilitate a group um, where we every week we discuss, or not every week when we can. We discuss our sermons, so that is how I'm um, involved. Um, and we have a community where we can we can differ from one another. It is not a perfect community. That is not what I'm seeking because I'm not perfect. So I find that my spirituality has grown in that faith community and also on my own, in my home, in nature, wherever I, I am. Um, yeah, I could be myself and grow. It's a thread throughout the book, which I found very interesting. Of course, the other thread, or the other, there are a few threads, <laughs> was, and you, you mentioned it, about relationships, the support that you had. I mean, your old friends, but you also discovered that you were making new friends. Mm-hmm. There's a question also of the loyalty, and you also suffered more losses as well within your family. This relationship is a very big part of my life. Um, I need people. I can't be on my own. Um, I can be on my own. Um, I'm comfortable with myself and my own uh, company, but I can't do that all the time. I need people. Um, and I recognized that, and I knew that um, relationships doesn't happen. You must make relationships happen. And I, because I was, my life has been, with Russell, has been so taken up with him and his career, because that's what we decided to do. There was this huge gap in my, in my life, and I knew that there are people, I have family, number one, I have my daughters, I've got Roxanne and Ilsa in a long distance relationship. Roxanne also went to London and we had our relationship also long distance for the time, luckily she's back. Um, but I knew that I had to focus on my relationship with the people that I think already love me and I must um, find those people that I 
knew they loved me way back and knew me, I must find them and bring them closer to me. Found morale here yeah, from varsity and I knew that I um, have to be closer to my family and so I had to really step out and get people involved in me because that's what I needed. Unfortunately, I lost friends, especially couples. When Russell and I, we, we didn't have like, close friends because he worked very hard and there wasn't time for every Friday to pry with your friends like some people do. We, we didn't have that luxury. Um, so we were already thinking, Russell was three years away from retirement when he died, uh, and we were already planning of broadening our friendship circle for when we retire because we must now. So I did what we started to plan. I, I had to get my circle bigger. So um, I lost those people that we had on our list. Many of them didn't take me along, but there were some that did. Um, some continued that same pattern that they invited us. Um, for example, their friends were as a house, valued out in Plainmont, and they invited us every year in January, and Russell and I would go, and they continued. Now I go, I go every, every January, so there are those, but they are few. Most of those um, couples just disappeared out of my life. It's with when you're alone. That, yes. This is the thing. It, it, it's, it seems to be some sort of a threat that if you come alone, you're no longer part of a couple, therefore you don't mean enough, which I, I yes, I, I relate to that very much. Yeah. So it's that and that maybe you want their husbands, but you know that's... <laughs> no way. <ways. laughs> no <ways. laughs> but, but be that whatever there is, Nina. But I think my biggest loss was my, my in-laws mm -hmm. and my, my stepchildren, but my stepchildren and I had a difficult relationships throughout um, Russell's life as well, so that wasn't strange, as sad as it is. But my in-laws always thought they liked me. <laughs> <laughs> we never know until tragedy strikes, do we? we uh, people really show their true colours. I, th I think what I liked very much was the new friends that you made and, and the enormous effort that you put into making friends and you, I think you've made some lifelong friends yes. now, which is very yes. rewarding. Yes, I have new friends, but I must also say that my brother-in-law, who has rejected me, has now, as recently as last month, asked me for forgiveness. Oh, that's so wonderful. We will still start our journey of forgiveness, um, but I'm just recognizing that that is also it's a happening. Step. Yes, yeah. that's wonderful. I have to ask you because we, you know we're talking about friends. I have to ask you about Bruno and the cards. There, there are some lovely light moments. Um, I've been to Bruno 
quite a number of times, so I'm not quite sure which gods. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I sort of want you to know a little bit more about, about what Bruno him. does. You know, Bruno is an interesting person. I learned about Bruno. Bruno is a psychic. He lives here in Seapoint. And I learned about Bruno on the radio in the afternoons when I come back from work and I listen to the radio. It was P4 at the time with Clarence Ford. And then people would call in and um, Bruno would ask questions and, and then he would give them whatever this life situation was. And there was never one person that said, no, that's wrong. Bruno, Bruno said, um, your father, was he a tall man? Then the answer would be yes. Um, did your father die recently? Yes. Um, and so I thought, it was months that I listened to the, not every day, but whenever Bruno was on. And this fascinated me. And Russell was, and I was in Russell, I'm fascinated, I'm gonna go to Bruno and just hear what Bruno has to say. And I went, and Russell encouraged me to go. And I did, and Bruno, the first thing Bruno told me, I never knew Bruno, you are a woman of deep faith. And that settled me uh, immediately, because I could, I could understand that Bruno can see me. And then, you know, Bruno got his little bones, and Bruno throws his bones, and he says, this is going to, this, oh, this is what I see, I see you have a son, yes, I have a son, um, there's something new in your son's life, and I don't know, oh, maybe, I don't know, I say, and there was something new. Months after that, Roxanne said, we wondered, oh, is he going to get a new job? Or so Roxanne said, it's probably a new baby. And it was a new baby. <laughs> so there were those kinds of things. Most of it um, came to pass, and I had to be believed. The strange thing was, at the end of our session, he said, there's a, an old man approaching. Um, he asked me, is your father alive? I said, yes, my father's alive, my father isn't born. But he has an old man, he's grey, he's very friendly, he has a broad smile, and he wants to say something, and then Bruno says, no, he can't now go into conversation with this thing, because Bruno knew I didn't pay for that. So Bruno <laughs> said, I must come back to hear what this old man is saying. So, I thought it was my father-in-law. I said, I think it is my father-in-law. They said, he's very friendly. He's kissing me on my cheek. I couldn't feel it. He's giving me a hug. And then I went, I went home. And I told Russell this. I told Russell, this is, uh, I think it is, it's your, it's your father. We call him Papi. I think it's Papi. Russell wanted me to go back and find out what is it that Papi was saying, but I was too scared. <laughs> I didn't go. But when I then, I think in, the, in, in Without You, mm -hmm. I had a strange experience of white light streaks in my lounge, 
that I saw every afternoon. It was a time when Oscar Pistorius um, court case on TV. I was busy finishing up my dissertation, so I spent hours in the study at the, at the computer. But every afternoon when I come out, there's these light streaks, and I would make my investigation. Where is the sun? Where does the light come from? How is it possible that there's light streaks here in my lounge? I couldn't find uh, any answer until one morning in my bed, I thought maybe Russell wants to contact you. Russell knows, you know how to contact him. I did. I knew Bruno. <laughs> and then I went to Bruno. And I went for a, what do you call it? A crossover session. Mm -hmm. Don't and give away too much. We want them to read the book. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I knew that I was open to, to that kind of, like I was open to the woman who brought me the flowers that came, Russell came into a dream. So I was open to the, the gifts that other people received on, on that level. You have to buy the book to read more. <laughs> <laughs> there's, one, there's lots of very human, affectionate, intimate stories, and that's what I enjoyed. I think probably the thing that, or maybe the thing that got you out of bed more, was the legacy. And Russell was a giant of a man, and the university saw that. So there were a number of things that you were personally involved with, and I think drove as well. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Russell established the bursary fund mm -hmm. on his last birthday. I did promise him that as soon as I'm done with my PhD, I will do the work to establish that, and so that was the time that I, I decided. Roxanne is also on the committee. So that is what we uh, established um, and built, uh, built up. And then the university in, uh, at the Faculty of Theology, they instituted a, an annual um, memorial mm -hmm. lecture and they invited me. That I had to ask my permission in the first place, which I gave, and I will, and I warned them the reason they, I will take it away if they don't do their work. So, <laughs> so I was invited also to be on the committee. Um, so in those two ways, I also collected all these, these um, books and all these documents. It was a big job and uh, donated it to the archive and then they, uh, they Sorted it and, yeah. Talking about personal documents and personal things, one of the things that, that struck me was the tie collages. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Tell us about that because I was absolutely intrigued. But I thought it was a really stylish man. So he had lots, many, many, many ties. Um, and a woman, I don't know, she, I think she's from Bloemfontein or something. She's, she watched television at the time of his passing and there were different uh, clippings about his life and so And she 
She said, but she realizes that Russell has many ties, but she can do a tapestry or something with it. I said to her, I don't have time for tapestries now. Um, talking about anger and all of that, I wasn't a very nice person all the time. So if you talk to me about, not tapestries, what is it? Quilting. Quilting, Quilting. yes. Um, I, I can't deal with quilts now, um, but let's, let's, let's wait. Uh, um, and then when I did contact her about a year later, she was busy with another project. And then I got somebody to, we worked out a kind of a project of how she could display Russell's ties. And she she never done something like that before. And so we have Russell's ties eventually on four different panels, wall hangings. Um, she used all the different parts of the tie, the thick part, front and back, cut it up, uh, the thin parts also, the label parts, and she made all kinds of beautiful designs with it. Four different um, panels for, I said there must be four for one for each of my children. And so now that in, um, so they are, A, they are actually a spectacle. They don't gather dust, you know, they're just hanging there and it never, I never feel that I, I need to dust them or anything. They're hanging there now for eight years. And um, they are going to be removed soon because I'm moving out of that space and then they will end up with each of those of those children. But they are a, a, a magnificent presence in the space where I am um, at the moment. I love that idea. I thought that was terrific. Of course, you and Russell had, had lots of travel plans and suddenly you had to travel on your own, but it became a theme through the book. You, you were fortunate, fortunate enough to be able to travel quite frequently. Now it was just you. How did you handle that? It was very difficult. And the travels that I tried to take were very different because um, before all, all our travels were work-related travels and we just add a couple of days of leisure here and there. Russell and I never had the opportunity just to travel for leisure. We were planning to do that when he retires. Um, and so I had to do the traveling for leisure on my own. Um, I started out going to people that I know um, and then I also went with friends. Um, there's Marlene. Marlene and I went on a cruise in South America together. And so, and then the next step was I went to visit Roxanne when she was studying and working um, in England, in London. We went to uh, Scotland, visited Scotland. We also visited Portugal. Um, with the other daughters and friends, so it's with, with family. And then after our uh, visit to Scotland in Edinburgh, we went to the Edinburgh Festival, which was also on my and Russell's bucket list. Um, I went on my own with a small tour bus 
um, and it was delightful. I didn't think I would love a bus tour, but there were only 15 people, so it was intimate enough. Um, and so the next one I went also on my own was on a big tour bus, full size 60, very nice. I was the only African on the bus, and so they, I let them all know. And, and <laughs> it was African Day also, so I made them all wear something African. They had to get something out of their own suitcases. Anyway, so I had that experience, made friends, still have contact uh, with some of that. Never knew I would like that kind of thing. But um, I had to do it if I wanted to travel and I can't find friends. I did try to get friends to go, <laughs> but if they, don't, if they can't make it, let's say, if they couldn't make it, I went on, on my own. I went on just as recently as last year, I went on my own on a cruise, MEC cruise. Um, had a, a, a lovely time. So I had to do things on my own. I'm comfortable in on my own, and I also, um, I'm, I'm easy in making conversation mm -hmm. with other people that I don't know. So I'm, 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 nev I'm never lost. The strange thing is on, on, the, on, the, on the cruise and on where was I also? On, oh, yes, on the train. What is the train's name? The Robos Rail. Um, I was on my own, and everybody, I was the only person on the whole train that was on my own. On the ship, I wasn't. There were other, about 10 other people. But um, the strange thing is when people ask me, and, and, and where are your family? Who are you traveling with? And I say, um, now I'm on my own. And I think they will, I thought they would say, oh, shame. No, they don't say that. They say, oh, how lucky you are. <laughs> Don't have to struggle with this one. <laughs> <laughs> and so traveling is for me is uh, is important. Uh, it's an important way of finding new perspectives, thinking about time to reflect, just to get out of your out of your own life, um, and knowing that one doesn't have to be alone. Yes. I think one of the things you say, and, and it's something that I use often, is you're alone, but you're not lonely. No. I think that that's probably a very good note to end on, because you've grown as a person, or that certainly comes across in the book, um, but you've always had Russell's support. I sort of feel like he's sitting on your shoulder all the time. But what would you like to say to somebody... What advice could you give to somebody who suffers an enormous loss suddenly, no warning, or even with warning, it's still a loss? Is there some advice that you could give to people? Because I see you as becoming adventurous, or you probably always were adventurous, but now you are even more adventurous, and you're, you've, you've taken life, you've, you've grieved to a very large extent, you're still grieving and you will grieve all your life. But you've taken that step forward and you're living. I don't give advice. <laughs> <laughs> all I want to do is, and why I wrote this book, I'm telling my story, I'm putting it out there. Read my story. Make with my story what you will. 
If the story encourages you, I am happy. Right. If the story tells me this is the wrong road to take, then you have learned from me. Don't do it like they wrong. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say to anybody, this is what I think you can do or can't do. I can only relate to my story. Mm -hmm. This is what I think was the right thing for me. Sometimes I was right, sometimes I was wrong, but always one, uh, one step at a time in whichever way you think it, you have to go. So, no advice. <laughs>